Welcome to Unlock Your Soul with yours truly, Anthony Your Soul. Today I have an amazing, amazing special guest all the way from Canada who's doing such great things. She is only just, I won't even tell you her age, I want you guys to hear from her after you understand that, I mean, everything that she does is, she's so passionate about what she does and yeah, and her age betrays her a lot because she should be like chilling hanging out at the park enjoying the movies with her friends but she's doing such phenomenal mind-blowing global issues i am talking about the one and only vedan shivala all from canada welcome to unlock your soul wow thank you that was a, a very hype introduction <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for coming through but before we talk about what you do i was looking at some of your older photos and I feel so bad that we're not, we're not on video today, but you cut your hair. Why did you cut your hair? <laughs> I'm sure because so you was, have such long hair. I have really, I really have long hair. So yeah, I, feel, yeah, yeah. I feel bad when people cut their hair. Well, it was kind of a funny and a spontaneous decision. Uh, I was going to this conference and yeah. uh, I was going to be there for a week. Yeah. And I knew that I was going to be in meetings all day. And so yeah. I was like, if I need to look good all the time, maintaining long hair is harder. And so if I cut it short, it takes less time to wash it, less yeah. to maintain it. So that was literally the reason I cut it short. But I also feel like you from I'm not trying to judge you but I feel like from you cutting your hair it's, it comes off like you just want to get things done yeah like you're very intentional about everything that you do it's I, I mean before we get into Bolt um, uh, Safety Society let's first get into who is Vedanshi why are you so passionate about issues that people around your age would probably to be honest not really care about I think that I come from um, a background where I've been very fortunate to go through life feeling pretty safe. Um, but I've heard stories from close relatives or friends uh, where they've experienced uh, some really, really bad things. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think if I have the knowledge and resources and capacity, then it's a responsibility to make sure that I'm using it to yeah. help make the world a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So talk to us now about bold safety society and also how old you are yeah and so that people can understand what i what i meant that yeah your age betrays you, you should be chilling out <laughs> in the park with your friends akina arpan and zian just you know living life so i want to know what is bold safety society and how do you come into this whole uh, amazing non-profit non organization yeah, so I'll take you back to when I was in grade 10. Mm -hmm. um, I currently just finished fourth year university. And when I was in grade 10, there was this competition called the Anu and Naveen Jain Women's Safety X Prize. Mm -hmm. It was a global challenge to leverage technology to build a solution to women's safety. Mm -hmm. So at the time, um, I led a team into that competition. Uh, we got kicked out of it like first round. We mm -hmm. were against like professional mm -hmm. companies, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that really sparked our passion for using technology to make the community better. Yeah. Uh, but as like the deeper I got into it, the more I realized that safety is a systemic issue there's not like a here's a panic button and now safety is solved right like yeah. we need to make sure that people don't become perpetrators people are um, being survivor centric not blaming the victims or mm. the survivors so there's a whole host of systems to dismantle and so that's where the uh, redirection into the nonprofit world started uh, we incorporated as bolt safety society mm -hmm. because we believe that you know safety the lack of safety is a humanitarian crisis mm -hmm. and it needs to be responded to at mm -hmm. the speed of lightning, which is mm -hmm. why the bolt. Bolt, yeah. 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 And so uh, I co-founded the organization uh, with an amazing team. And uh, we've started with the launch of our digital platform. Mm -hmm. It's like 
I'd say like a library um, of all these resources that and systems of support for survivors and their allies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we also branched into community programming. But really, at the core of our work is that digital platform piece. Yeah. So yeah. then, now you're in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Then I mean, it, it was quite sort of a, a chance, interesting chance meeting. Tell us about how you ended up in mm-hmm. Nairobi. Yeah, so I was uh, at the Commission on the Status of Women's 67th session at the United Nations in New York, and I met with. But first, yes. before you continue, <laughs> I like how you mentioned some of these things. It's like I was just at the washroom. <laughs> it's like it's so normal to you, like being in New York at the UN. It's like, oh, guys, I was just packing my car, you know. But this is it's a it's a very African way, yeah. <laughs> and a passive aggressive way of telling you that you are phenomenal. Thank you. So let's continue. You're at the yeah. UN. Right. So I'm at the UN. Um, and so there's all these different sessions where people from different countries and organizations present. Yeah. So one of the high level sessions that I was in was held by, I believe, the African Union. And um, a Kenyan MP, Honorable uh, Wamushomba, yeah. was one of the presenters. Yeah. And so at that event, uh, they were asking questions to the audience. So I raised my hand. I said something and then yeah. uh, we connected after the event because mm-hmm. um, she wanted to learn more about our work uh, we met up for coffee uh, told her what we do at Volt in Canada uh, and she was interested in bringing that work to Kenya and mm. really we just sat down and I actually have like handwritten notes of the yeah. whole system that she explained to me here wow. um, of her concerns around violence locally and yeah. the ways in which our interventions here can be used to complement the work already happening on the ground mm-hmm. and potentially break those systems yeah. um, so that you know, violence is curbed. Yeah. And so now you're in Kenya. I mean, tell us about your experience so far. Yeah. What you've been able to see in terms of like the ecosystem, which mm-hmm. I feel lacks a lot in terms of uh, any any survivor or victim of, of uh, domestic violence really doesn't have a place to run to in terms of the lack of knowledge or expertise from policing um sort of you know agencies and just even from a community perspective there's really no place for them to run so where have you been going to and what Mm. have you sort of witnessed so far right so our objective like you said it rightfully like we're to try to understand the whole ecosystem right so there's the aspect of reporting the crime once it's happened and Mm -hmm. so the police here have a gender desk Um, the gender desk is essentially this uh, separate building from the police station where anyone can go 24-7 operational um, go in and report their experience the Mm -hmm. issue is that Mm -hmm. let's say that someone's experiencing domestic abuse at home um, and then they go to report the crime at the police station say it's nighttime um, and their officers aren't able to process the case right away uh, and and make an action on accosting the the perpetrator that person now has to go back home Mm-hmm. until the police are able to take action. Mm-hmm. And so in that time frame, uh, that person's life is at risk because now uh, their perpetrator may find out that they filed a report and so they're putting their life in risk, uh, even making that report and then yeah. having to go back. Yeah. So having intermediate safe spaces is incredibly needed. Yeah. Um, and that's the the same thing that the, the police officers there told us as well. Uh, then there's the children's office that we also visited um, in Githunguri. Yeah. And they deal with any matters pertaining to children. Like there's a lot of cases of neglect and abuse um, our focus was specifically on uh, you know instances of domestic violence mm-hmm. uh, sexual violence uh, and they unfortunately get a lot of uh, children as well that experience that yeah, it's sad um, and it's incredibly incredibly difficult what we found there and it sort of echoed throughout that ecosystem was that the social workers, the police officers, they're so incredibly passionate. Yeah. They're so incredibly knowledgeable yeah. about dealing with survivors of violence yeah. um, and making sure they get the right help. Mm-hmm. What's lacking is the resources, yeah. right? So if someone comes in, they have an obligation to make sure they're helped. Mm-hmm. But how many people can they help mm-hmm. when they're 
not enough safe space infrastructure yeah. um, to pass them along to. I can only imagine yeah. how burnt out they are. Absolutely. Burnout I mean, is real. It's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. And, and, and mm-hmm. the thing is that we don't... Um, what are the things... Did you, did you find any challenge in terms of like documentation? Yeah. In terms of, for example, their experiences not really being documented so that we can actually have action being done by the likes of the MP, mm-hmm. Wamoshomba. What are some of the challenges you feel that they face and how do you feel we can sort of fill in those gaps? Even before we talk about like, you know, crazy funding or like support mm-hmm. from government, what are some of the, 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 the low-hanging fruits you feel we can yeah. be able to, to sort of sort out? Well, the first thing is even making the report, the person needs to know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is this an abusive relationship? Is mm-hmm. this not a safe situation for mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Is help out there available? Will mm-hmm. I be believed? Yeah. Are my experiences valid? And so these sort of questions, I think we're experiencing um, challenges with any part of the world. Yeah. Like we see this in Canada, like because of victim blaming narratives, uh, which is the reason that stigma needs to be removed around talking about these things. Um, and the blame needs to be and the onus needs to be put back on the perpetrators so really at you know the low-hanging fruit level uh, is just about changing the mindset and the narrative around sexual violence um and making it survivor centric because the moment we do that why would someone be afraid to go report their crime uh if they know they're going to be heard or they're going to be believed and so that's the first thing that needs to change um in terms of uh the other reporting is you know family members or friends deterring Mm. the survivor from Mm. reporting it Mm. trying to keep it internal i mean yeah Yeah. that for me is always the biggest issue you run to those who you feel should Mm -hmm. you know should really hold your and like tell you let's go to the police station now let's mm-hmm. go to, I mean let's sue this guy let's sue this lady or whatever yeah. and the ones tell you no 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 just you know these things you don't talk about these things mm-hmm. I, I mean was it I know it happens a lot all over the world but was yeah. it shocking for you to experience that you know victims telling you that I didn't go because my family said nope you're not going to do Absolutely. It. We were at uh, Wings for Hope Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're an organization that works with teenage mothers. Yeah. And I had a sit-down chat with one of them. And uh, she was just telling me about how um, she didn't actually get pregnant uh, through an assault, mm. uh, which she's a minor. So, you know, how much could that really have been consensual? Yeah, yeah. But she was telling me that her mother was the abuser. Um, mm. And that when she, like her mother beat her and like when she... Um, told her mom about the pregnancy she didn't take it well yeah. and so she's at the at the shelter now right wow. um, but it's sort of like yeah like when they open up and they tell people that are supposed to be looking out for them and trusting uh, and they don't get that support that's, yeah. that's a huge issue yeah. um, the other thing is yes it was incredibly difficult to see because in Canada I think we still have that baseline um, infrastructure in place mm-hmm. to support like mm-hmm. our yes there's a lot that can be done better but at the end of the day like there's capacity in our shelters, there's capacity in our police stations. Um, there's a lot of training provided to change that mindset around talking about these things and being survivor centric. Mm-hmm. But here on the other hand, uh, we were actually, this happened yesterday, we were going on a safari yeah. to Masai Mara. Yeah. And when our driver picked us up, there yeah. were actually two girls in the car already mm-hmm. that he picked up on the streets. Yeah. Uh, they'd just been raped. Wow. Um, so one of the girls didn't have clothes on her and so the driver had given her a blanket Mm. Um, and the other one like when she got out of the car um, I didn't really get to interact with them because I didn't know until they got out of the car what had happened Uh, one of the girls like her dress strap had Mm. been torn off Mm. so it was from the looks of it quite a violent assault as well Um, and so 
there's good Samaritans out there like that driver who picked them up mm. and gave them a blanket, gave restored some of that dignity and mm. made sure they were dropped mm. off uh, to their ride so they could go to a police station and, yeah. and take the next steps. Yeah. But it's, we need more people um, that are more safe people. Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking, right, like, okay, in Canada, I could probably walk down the street and I'd probably be fine. Yeah. But here I can't do that. Yeah. It's incredibly dangerous, yeah. especially for women. It happens exactly. to men as well, That's but especially true. for women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, it was shocking just walking into this and just seeing this happen yeah. um, and I think at a point when these things are happening in such great frequency people tend to get desensitized to mm, them as well mm. and I think we can no matter how many cases there are no matter how we cannot let those numbers desensitize us yeah. we need to keep up the hope we need to keep making that change happen it's interesting I've never viewed it that way but yeah. I mean we, as you say you always leave it and, and learn mm-hmm. but now the more I think about it it's, it's sort of an apathy of sorts come about mm-hmm. like ah yeah, we heard about this. And like I told you before, our fetishization yeah. with numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, 50% of Kenyan women have all, you know, experienced sexual violence in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it's such a huge number. Yeah. But we act like it's okay. So moving yeah. on, you know, like, okay, I hope I'm not the next victim. Or mm-hmm. I hope my daughter isn't one of it. I'll, I'll make sure that I'll safeguard her or whatever. But then we forget that these are actual people we're talking about. People, These are families. human beings. These are families. Yeah. The effect is way bigger than just a number. Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel as a 22-year-old um, seeing adults, uh, seeing the community, sometimes one either not having solutions or not doing enough to safeguard women, children, and men in society. I think uh, when I hear about the stories and people's experiences, yeah, it makes my blood boil. Mm. But when I recognize the um, the current like situation around the lack of resources or mm-hmm. the lack of um, enough being done, that makes me feel. Um, Hopeless, and I think as a young person, that's the last thing we want to feel, right? Because yeah. I, I think adults like to say that you know, you're you're our hope and whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it makes me feel hopeless to the point that it's like, it, what whatever I'm doing is that even going to make a dent? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, in terms of the mindset, I think a lot of people might feel that way as well. Yeah. But we can do small things. You know, if you hear from a survivor, believe them, be their ally. You know, be supportive. Don't judge them. Don't blame them. Yeah. Um, and if even one person chooses to be a safe person, mm-hmm. then that's one less unsafe person out there. Yeah. So I think there are small things we can do um, in the face of something that's deeply disheartening. Yeah, uh, we can be more intentional. Let's talk about yes. um, the safe spaces and the mm-hmm. safe hubs that we you know with the likes of you and, sorry, for you and the likes of uh, um, uh, MP or Moshomba are really trying to be able to bridge that gap in terms mm-hmm. of lack of information, lack of resources, lack of agency, to be able to make it possible for survivors of, of, of uh, violence to really find a new home. Mm-hmm. When we talk about a safe space or a safe hub that has access point for products, what are we talking about? Like, paint a picture of what that looks like. What does it mean to yeah. have a safe space? A safe space um, for the this concept specifically is so, let's say someone um, has experienced violence at home mm-hmm. or if they're walking down the street and they think someone's following them, where do they go immediately, mm-hmm. right? Let's say they're not close to a police station. They just see the sign for a safe hub, mm-hmm. right? And that, mm-hmm. that branding is recognized and they know they can go in there and they're going to be okay. 
right? So when they get inside, having uh, trained uh, team members that have the capacity to deal with anyone that's experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, tying in and collaborating with the counselors and mental health professionals in Kenya, mm-hmm. because these people already exist. It's yeah. all about bringing them into one yeah. place, right? Yeah. And then from there, uh, making referrals as required based on the nature of the situation to mm-hmm. police to file a report, perhaps sending accompaniment mm-hmm. uh, so they don't have to do that alone. Um, making sure that they have uh, menstrual products, but not just that. If they've been violated, then if they need um, clothing, blankets, yeah. uh, restoring that dignity for that person, um, ensuring that they know uh, that they can go to a hospital and have a sexual assault examination performed mm-hmm. um, and what that process entails. There's so much mystery around these systems. It's like people, I think, are just expected to know what to do um, if they've experienced assault. But in reality, that information is not widely shared. And so yeah. having that center be a space where they can access that information, yeah. uh, learning more about uh, sexual um, and reproductive health, uh, you know, educational material on those topics as well as like actual resources mm-hmm. um, that they can take back with them. There's that that one, I think, response aspect to it. There's also like long-term thinking about why are these things still happening? Why are, you know, uh, victims or survivors unable to escape abusive relationships? And a lot of that comes from economic dependence on their perpetrator. Yeah. So ensuring that they have the space to be able to apply for jobs or um, upskill or get second chance education. And so that safe hub also serves as a center for empowerment mm-hmm. uh, for that aspect mm-hmm. so that they may be able to stand on their own feet and break away from that eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's less about being like, Okay, here's ten thousand dollars. Go start exactly. a new life. Yeah. But no, here are is a safe space immediate like immediately. Mm-hmm. Here are some skills you can take back with you, and we will work with you to mm-hmm. make sure that you can go back. Because the the whole idea is to make sure people are empowered to go back and live life to the fullest. Yeah. Do you feel like um, uh, you know, resources like safe spaces need to be sort of enshrined in the constitution? You know, like we need to have more policy makers, more policy mm-hmm. lawmakers to really advocate for these safe spaces. For example, if we talk about like, let's say a community of like a thousand people, we should have like a police station, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of caters for that um, uh, community, that population. Should this be um, also something that we, we sort of advocate for? And someone might argue and say that no, we also need to have a lot of education that people can 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 end the violence. People can you know stop you know assaulting or whatever. But we also have to deal with those who mm-hmm. are going through it. So I don't want to deal with uh, not that it's not important to me, but I don't want to deal with with what should people do to stop the violence. Mm-hmm. I really believe that we need to deal with the issue that is at hand, which is people are straf- suffering and struggling because of of, of violence, of domestic violence. Do, do you feel that it needs to be enshrined in constitution, that this, this needs to be normal, mm-hmm. that we have safe spaces for people to feel like I can walk away from a really terrible family setup and begin my life? Because they, a lot of them stay. And when you talk to women or to men who've been violated, I mean, they'll say things like, I have kids. Oh, I do want to go. Where should I go to next? What are people going to say about me? My own parents will tell me to go back. So let's make this more permanent Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't deal with the issue at hand and we move on as we go along. But how do we, or do you think we need to have more permanent Mm -hmm. uh, sort of safe spaces and really enshrined in the constitution as far as uh, the issue is concerned? 
Yeah, I absolutely do. Because safety is a fundamental human right. It's not about politics. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times when um, politicians are trying to get into office, they tend to use these issues mm -hmm. as for a vote bank, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's not how it should be. I think mm -hmm. that the way that we have police stations, the way that we have hospitals, the way that we have shopping centers, safety should not be something that people need to question. Mm. Is the next government going like to provide that? we shouldn't that? have to be yeah. fighting, advocate. This should be common sense. Exactly. Mm. exactly. Common sense isn't very common, right? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not always common. Exactly. And yeah. so I definitely do think that there needs to be government level support. And one of the reasons for that not only is the permanency of the programming, um, actually two reasons. One is that perpetrators know the government mm -hmm. does not condone violence. Mm -hmm. That is huge. Mm. You know, that makes a statement. Mm. The other reason is that um, the level of resources needed to triangulate the response from the grassroots level all the way up to the high courts, mm -hmm. right? When it comes to all these crimes. And then after the cases are done, um, the uh, psychological, socio-psychological support provided to the survivors. So coordinating all of that, you can't be putting the burden on NGOs that are volunteering their time mm. to do this, right? So it needs yeah. to be a government responsibility. They have an obligation to their people. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, mm, yeah. Again, you have, you're a brilliant mind. The idea that that issues like safety is the preserve of NGOs, non-profit organizations, the preserve mm. of other people's, people who are passionate mm -hmm. about human beings, whilst, whilst government's core mandate is to take care of its own human beings. Exactly. Period. They, there really shouldn't be a question around it. So this leads me to really ask you why? Mm -hmm. Why Vedanshi? Why do you do, I mean, you're, and I'm not trying to mean that young people shouldn't care about issues that affect them, yeah. shouldn't have a nerve or, you know, steel balls or whatever. But why Why is there such a young kid like yourself, um, with a lot of respect when I call you kid, seize it upon themselves that this is important for you? Why? Um, I think it goes back to what I was saying about if I have the knowledge and capacity to make a difference, then I, I absolutely should. I consider it a responsibility. Yeah. Um, I think a part of it comes from uh, my heritage as well. Uh, I'm from India originally. I live mm -hmm. in Canada right now. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, my ancestry is rooted in um, Indian royalty. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at my ancestors, they've really stepped up to help their people mm -hmm. at, when required, um, made personal sacrifices to make sure that they're taken care of. And so in a modern context, in terms of my own identity, when I yeah. think about what does having this, it's called Rajput, this Rajput background mean yeah. um, in 2022? Like, why does yeah. anyone care about that? Yeah. And for me, it's just, it goes back to like my role in this world is mm -hmm. to give back. And so at the core of it, I think that is mm -hmm. the reason I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And um, I come from enough privilege to be able to do this work, uh, not paying myself anything. Yeah. Um, because I know my parents are able to take care of me. My family's got my back. Um, but I know there's a lot of people out there that want to help, but just given the lack of resources, they can't. Yeah. And so I'm glad to be in a position where I can yeah. give back. Yeah. And for people like yourself and and me who can, who are able, whether even if it's not even from a money perspective, but mm -hmm. from even like a time perspective, mm -hmm. you know, amplifying the voices of people like yourself or the voices of those who are really trying to do the most to be able to uplift others. What do you think we can do in our own personal spaces? And this is with regards to your organization. Mm -hmm. you know I mean where do we find you um, can we look for a, a local charter you know is there an office in Kenya that you've seen for example mm -hmm. that maybe we can go help out yeah. maybe it's, a, it's, it's you know um, you know an organization that you feel like we can spend our time there and mm -hmm. you know we can give our resources or time maybe somebody has an old phone and they feel like 
I mean, I want to buy a new phone. Yeah. Maybe take this phone to the resource center so they can yeah. be able to have a phone with internet or whatever mm. that can that can make calls, that can you know send emails. What do you think we can do in our own personal uh, capacities? Yeah, I don't think it actually takes a lot of money to make an impact and make a lasting impact on someone's life. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many organizations in Kenya that are doing incredible work and yeah. a lot of them we've had the opportunity to sit down and speak with. Yeah. Um, so one of our partner organizations is, uh, you know, For the Menstruator, you know, Zian will probably yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have Heels for Pads as well. They're mm -hmm. co-designing this whole Safe Hubs project with us. Yeah. We have the Wangu Kanja Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, they have excellent, you know, vision in mind for where they can take this sort of work in the future. And mm -hmm. they've been working on this for like over a decade. Wow. Um, and so, just going back to the whole thing about like, yes, I'm young and I've only been doing this for a few years, but there's so many people that are doing so much more and we stand on the shoulders of giants, mm, right? Mm. And so just remembering that we're never in, working in isolation and doing what you can to even go to a shelter and take time to talk with the kids, yeah, right? Because like, yeah. yes, there's uh, their moms are there, their caretakers are there, but whatever the kids like play with them. Yeah. Um, you know, what we like to do is just, uh, we went into a few of these spaces and Sometimes kids just want to play soccer mm, with you. Just want to feel you know? loved. Yeah, it's yeah. spread more love. Yeah. Um, and I think that can go a long way. I think yeah. children that are loved uh, grow up to be beautiful adults mm -hmm. that love and spread love in the world, yeah. right? And like you said, this whole thing boils down to um, if there was love and respect. Yep. yep. Yeah. Like I said before, I mean, people had, uh, I mean, Nelson Mandela said it best that, mm -hmm. you know, we are, we are taught to hate. Yes. And for people who are taught to hate, it means that we can teach ourselves to love. Yeah. The fact that you see it very easy to hurt somebody, to, you know, to maim them, to assault them. Mm -hmm. It says a lot about who we are as a people that we are so easy to hurt. Yeah. And, you know, we easily hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I, I know there's a concept that we like to say hurt people, hurt people. But I mean, also, we make a choice to mm -hmm. hit somebody to attack them, to assault them, to say words to them that could hurt them, you know, to yeah. deprive them of food, to deprive them of their livelihood. So, I mean, we, we make that choice. Absolutely. Regardless of whatever we've gone mm -hmm. through. So, if we could teach ourselves to love more, mm -hmm. love doesn't hurt. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't hurt at all. As we conclude, what's What's the bigger picture for you in terms of what do you think you want to be able to achieve, whether it's from the uh, and and uh, the, the continent, whether it's um, in Canada, and even with your amazing partnership with um, with MPO Moshomba, who, by the way, next time you meet her, tell her I'm such a huge fan because <laughs> yes. I grew up listening to her and I I loved how she'd speak on radio and mm. even when I ended up on radio. I always wanted to have sort of like a kind of personality yeah. where when people hear you, they you they really know you're a straight shooter. I mean, not as a not as a as a whole like character or whatever. It's just yeah. who you are. So I feel I love her for her. Sometimes she's got very strong political stance, mm -hmm. and I love her for that. Yes. So next time you meet her, please hug her for me. I will but, be, will be. But where do you intend this partnership to go and and also some lovely kind words for her I mean I really feel that how you guys met and jailed yes. and this is happening yeah. is so phenomenal I mean it's one of those unheard of things mm -hmm. so tell me what the future looks like for you absolutely so uh, for this, I'll answer by saying that the irony of our whole organization is that we shouldn't have to exist because violence should not exist, mm. right? Mm. And so... Hold up. Don't say deep things here and then just <laughs> slide onto it like... Wow. The irony of the situation is that your organization doesn't have to exist. 
yeah. continue. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, ideally in the future, we're getting to a point where safety is more normal than violence is. Mm. And so perhaps safe hubs can be the conduit to that. Mm -hmm. But I think more than that, it's about, um, you know, empowering and inspiring the people on mm -hmm, ground mm -hmm. um, in our communities to realize their own power in making yeah. a difference. Yeah. Because the moment we all step up, who, no one can stop us. Yeah. And so this is the whole full circle story, I think is it's, there's a lot of work to be done, but I think with the support of people like Honorable Wamushomba, yeah. it can be done, mm. you know? And then we need strong leaders like her in office that are yeah. going to make safety and human rights a priority. Yeah. Um, and thinking about it long-term, like she's never come to us being like, I only need this for the next two years. Yeah. She's thinking long-term, how can yeah. we make a lifetime of impact? Yeah. Yeah. And so we need more people like her. Um, and absolutely from the bottom of my heart, appreciate her, appreciate you yeah. for sharing stories that need to be shared um, and bringing this to people that can make a difference. Yeah, I've always, to be honest, when I thought about having the podcast, I mean, I was really, you know, they always say that what you sort of put out into the wild is what comes back to you. Mm -hmm. I ha I've had a huge um, sort of really rethinking and, and saying that I didn't want to have a podcast where we just do banter. Yeah. I mean, I really, for me, it's good. I mean, you know, for <laughs> everybody has their own choice of poison. So for me, I really want a space where we're able to talk about issues that affect us. I mean, issues that we have all the time. Mm -hmm. And when we have the time, let's talk about these issues. And, and this is the platform where we can be able to change narratives. We can be able to change mindsets and we yes. can be able to at least do what we do and what we love to do mm -hmm. and do it honestly and with a lot of intention so this space is for people like you so meeting you through Zian through Arpan was mm -hmm. like was like my <laughs> speaking to the world coming yeah. back to me because I really want intentional conversations I want to meet young people like yourself who are doing such great things I want to amplify those voices but I also want to be able to unlock our souls by allowing us to realize oh I can actually do something I can, I have a resource, I have an opportunity mm -hmm. where I can change something. Absolutely. So thank you once again for being so intentional, for being so cognizant of your background and deciding to not sit on your laurels and just do nothing, <laughs> but doing so much about it. Thank you, thank you so much, thank Vedanshi you. Vala. I mean, you are, my God. <laughs> right back at you. Oh my thank goodness. You, you are a, a, a well of knowledge and inspiration and all those things okay as we really conclude conclude again welcome to Kenya where we and Honorable Omoshomba will tell you we yeah. normally say finally <laughs> and then we realize oh I'm not done and on to the last point yeah. before I conclude yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a matter of final 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 the real final the real final yeah. tell me three three four or five things that you've learned now about life uh, in terms of your experience and mm -hmm. and what you've been able to really grasp as far as life is concerned? One is that um, no matter how challenging a situation is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you are that light. Mm. I don't remember where I heard this, but it's it's a good way of thinking about it because sometimes there will be other people that can come and get you out of the hole that you're in but other yeah. times you just need to remember that you have the power within you to do yeah. that so that's yeah. one thing i've learned the other thing is that um good people still exist mm. a lot of times when we're looking at um stories or you know like the worst of humanity yeah. we're like oh my god this this world is not going anywhere it's it's done but yeah. and then someone just offers to buy you a coffee and mm. then you remember no wow. you know there's good people out there yeah. Um, and finally, uh, I think that 
we are stronger together than we are apart. Mm -hmm. And so any organization that is working in the sexual violence prevention space and the response space um, and supporting survivors, um, I, you know, raise my hands to you because mm -hmm. everyone on the ground is making great sacrifices to make this work happen, um, yeah. often experiencing, I think, a lot of psychological harm as well mm -hmm. as a result of mm -hmm. what they're doing. And mm -hmm. still they keep going, they keep persevering. And that's the human condition. We keep going, we keep having hope. Yeah. And that's what I've learned. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And again, another final, final. <laughs> How do you keep yourself sane as you do all of this? How do you ensure yeah. that you're also taking care of your mental health as you go through, I mean, really difficult, mm -hmm. um, Trying, trying times for other people. Yeah. How do you ensure as Vedanji that you know that you also get the psychological support mm -hmm. that you need to keep going? Absolutely. Um, firstly, I think uh, remembering that there's no um, no shame in asking for help. And there have been times where I've reached out for help because I was mm. experiencing some challenges mentally mm. um, with my own mental health as well. Mm. Uh, the other thing is having a solid support system. So I have a younger sister and a, an amazing family, my mm -hmm. parents as well, that mm -hmm. support me through this work. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I'll be like yesterday, I think I I was awake. Uh, I, I took naps, but, you know, yeah. I was like yeah. on the grind for like pretty much like 24 hours or more. Yeah. And then yeah. my sister messaged me being like, you go to sleep or go I will sleep. kick you yeah. out of this yeah. chat now. Sleep you know? now. Sleep yeah. now. And so like, I don't want to chat with you anymore. Sleep. Exactly. Go away. Yeah. Like, sleep, yeah. rest. Uh, and so having people like that that can hold you accountable to yeah. taking care of yourself. Yeah. Um, and finally, just a few practices I like to do. I like to journal. I like to do uh, yoga mm -hmm. from India. Big surprise. Mm -hmm. Hello. <laughs> and, <yeah>. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I like to do boxing. I think mm. it's pretty cathartic. Oh, I love uh, boxing. Yeah, I actually do that like every yeah. tomorrow, which is yeah. a Thursday. I'm going to be boxing. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's my thing. Yes. Like, it allows you to just sweat it out. Mm. And then the thing about boxing is that you really, someone was asking me, why do you, yeah. you always look at different parts when you're boxing and I'm like, because when you're in boxing, at that moment, you've got nothing else to think about. I mean, exactly. you literally realize that you sort of really zone out. Yeah. So boxing is beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It took me all these years yeah. to realize. Mm -hmm. And you are 22. <laughs> you figure out the secrets before the rest of the world. I mean, thank you so, so much. Thank Anji. you. I thank mean, you. I don't want to, I feel like I don't want to let you go. <laughs> I could talk to you all, all day. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you're doing. And I can't wait to, I can't wait to see you doing much greater stuff in a much bigger capacity with so much support from around the world. Thank you. When you win that um, uh, Nobel Peace Prize, please, <laughs> like, don't ignore my WhatsApp. Like, yeah. Don't be like, who's this? Please. Like, oh, please. I have to say that to you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I would never ignore you. <laughs> if I can't ignore Zian, I mean, I cannot ignore anybody mm -hmm. in the world. The most stubborn child <laughs> that anybody knows, Zian. Mm -hmm. How can I ignore you? But thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're absolutely amazing. My God, that was, wow. That was just such an amazing, amazing um, conversation with Vedanshi Vala. If you'd like to know more about her, we'll make sure we link all her socials um, in the description of the show notes. But please make sure you go check uh, her, out her work and also ask yourself, what have you done for somebody else lately? What have you done for somebody else who really needs your support? Ask yourself that question. Next week, we have another amazing young person who's doing such great stuff. We're going to be hosting Zian Virji and getting to find out why his name means... I don't know. He, he, I don't know. He lies to me. He says Zian means beauty. I don't know if it's true. I think he's a lie. But you know what? We'll find out about his beautiful story from Aga Khan Academy, Mombasa, all the way to 
to also doing great stuff in Canada. That's next week right here on Unlock Your Soul with yours truly, Antonio Soul. Keep the conversation going on Facebook, on TikTok, on Twitter, on whatever at Unlock Your Soul Podcast and also email me at unlockyoursoulpodcast at gmail.com so we can also highlight your stories. Here's a snippet of what's going to be happening next week with Zian Vizji. Yeah, no, so... You know, thinking back about going back to the story of me almost, you know, going through the experience of dengue fever yeah. and almost potentially losing my life, right? Yeah. I think now looking back, I, I'm I'm able to say that this going on this path and it's crazy when you look back and connect the dots, but yeah. it's really put me on this journey of of thinking about my purpose and thinking about how is it that I can contribute on, on scale on this world. And the reason why I went through that experience was... I feel like there was a there was seed planted in me mm. and and I have now this responsibility. It wasn't in vain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so